Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is April, and our pick this month is Michael Bennett's detective mystery novel, Better the Blood. It's about Hannah Westerman, a Maori detective in New Zealand. Her personal life is tumultuous. The father of her teenage daughter is her ex and is also her boss. But she is very good at her job, and when mysterious and interconnected murders start happening, she is determined to get to the bottom of it. This is also a story about colonialism and the irreconcilable nature of history. That's all I'm going to say for now, since this is a spoiler-free discussion. Michael, welcome to Nerdette. I'm so honored and humbled to be here. Oh, oh I'm, I'm honored and humbled that you took the time, so thank you so much. So I gave some like very uh, fleeting brushstrokes in terms of what this book is about. But can you tell us a little bit more about kind of the main plot points that we're working with in this one? Again, in a spoiler free fashion. Um, It's the story of a Maori detective, a senior Maori female detective called Hannah Westerman, who discovers um, that a couple of killings that have happened um, are connected in ways that have never been put together before. What she discovers is that in the 19th century, during the brutal colonization of New Zealand by the British, by the English, um, a Māori chief was wrongfully executed on one of the mountains in central Auckland. He was executed by a troop of six British soldiers. And what Hannah discovers is that the two killings that have happened today in Auckland both of the people who have died are descendants eight generations later of two of the soldiers that executed the Māori chief in the 19th century. There was six soldiers in the British Army troop who executed the chief. Two descendants have died. Um, another four descendants will die unless Hannah finds the person who is taking vengeance um, and stops them from what they are doing. It's like, yeah, I'll read the hell out of that book. (laughs) (laughs) As you say, it's very plotty. It moves along like you want a detective novel to. It's got those thriller elements. It also paints a really beautiful and brutal portrait of the Maori people, the people indigenous to New Zealand and how terribly they were treated by British colonizers. This is a story that probably shouldn't be surprising uh, here in the U.S., given our own history with genocide and its repercussions, but it's one that maybe a lot of us don't know about. I would love to know, I mean, it's also, as you say, it's a look at generational trauma and, you know, of course, systemic oppression. How did you decide to make sure that both of those aspects were in this book? The fact that it is, you know, a very propulsive and plotty detective novel, but also has such a bigger truth to it as well. It's such a beautiful question, Greta. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, and I just, like, I'm blown away of how deeply you've got your 
fingers into what the book is really about. Um, for me, it's mm-hmm. absolutely so. So I am just to begin with. I'm I'm not writing from the outside. I'm writing from the inside. I'm I'm Maori. Mm-hmm. Um, of the Te Arawa tribe, which is from a region of Rotorua, uh, of New Zealand called Rotorua. And when you say that this is a story that, you know, it's it's not only a detective story that I hope, you know, follows the rules of the genre because it's crime, crime thriller is my absolute favourite genre across any media. Um, and I really wanted to deliver to the audience and to the reader the kind of things that I look for in in storytelling, and that's you know the, the adrenaline and the the energy and the mm. thrill and the page turning. So that was really, you know, one of my major goals. But I guess the the next big goal for me really was to explore a whole lot about the history of New Zealand, the history of colonisation, as you talk about, um, and the you know the oppression and and what what happened to my my ancestors, the history of colonization New Zealand has only relatively started to be explored in the school curriculum and I'm not sure what the situation is in this in the states but I wouldn't be at all surprised mm. if it was similar that um yeah it's it flies below the radar because it's an inconvenient truth growing up I knew so much more about the royalty of England than the history of my own land and um you know the king is still our king which blows my mind and when I started you know, as an adult, when I went to university and started to learn much more about colonization and about the things that happened to my ancestors and the loss of land, yeah. the the scars and the unhealed raw damage that was done by uh, colonization doesn't go away. You know, once we held the wealth of this land, which was stolen from us, and now as a people, Māori, we are on the bottom of all the socioeconomic statistics, educationally, health, life expectancy. We're only 13% of the population, yet we are 54% of the prison population. We're the, mm-hmm. the most imprisoned Indigenous race on the planet. So all of these things, I think if you're a Māori writer, a Māori creator, it's very, very hard not to incorporate some of the feelings that you have for this and some of the, uh, you know, uh, the anger, I guess, about the damage that's been done to Māori people, to us as a people. So both of those things were very important to me. I, I wanted to write a really a compelling crime thriller, but I wanted it also to be a Trojan horse for for talking about a whole lot of things. Reckoning is such a big theme in this novel, and I think especially about Hana, our protagonist, who a lot of what she has to deal with over the course of this story is realizing the fact that her job is definitely part of the problem. Um, which I think you've told a really interesting line there because this is a murder mystery with a protagonist who is a cop, but you managed not to write copaganda either. I haven't heard that word. It's great. Oh, really? I was wondering <laughs> if that one has made it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I mean by by that term, I assume. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm guessing uh, an apologist for everything the police does, is that kind of? Yes. Yeah. Or even, you know... Even beyond being apologist, I think celebrating the system as the good guys, as opposed to, you know, looking into the fact that they're actually upholding a lot of really problematic structures. Yeah. I wanted to have somebody who is within the system who is born to be a cop. She is the person that you want to be a cop. She is fear-minded. She sees big picture stuff, but she's also brilliant. And and as a Māori and as a woman, you know, there's you know there's a whole lot of things up against her. As you pointed out, one of the things in in the book is that that 
um, her ex-husband has risen above her in the ranks much more quickly, um, despite the fact that she is almost unquestionably a better cop. And, you know, <laughs> as, as a Māori and as a woman, you have to work 10 times as hard mm-hmm. as uh, as a man and um, to get half as far. Um, so, like, but through the course of the book, coming face-to-face with, um, you know, in the pursuit of, of the person that's carrying out these killings, and and as she gets closer and closer to finding out um, the reasons that the killer is doing what they are doing, she, I guess, a mirror is held up to the justice system that she works for, and the uh, the things about the justice system that aren't working for her people make her question her own role within this justice system that is not serving her people. I mean, it, it's really interesting. I come I come from a family that 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 believes in law and order and, you know, and of course sure. it's important. You know, my, my dad was a Spitfire pilot in World War II. Six of his brothers wow. went to World War II fighting for the Māori Battalion, which was an elite kind of unit within the uh, New Zealand Army. But they, they didn't go to fight for the Queen, I don't believe. Um, I think mm-hmm. they went to fight against something that was evil and wrong. And there is this kind mm-hmm. of like... Uh, in Hana, there is the same battle. You know, there is something wrong happening. She has the skills and the ability to deal with wrongdoing and bad things. Um, but at the same time, she's working within a justice system that uh, is not serving her people well. And, and and those kind of difficult internal conflicts, I think, are probably the stuff of uh, compelling drama, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think... There's there's a complication and a nuance to it that I think is really, really interesting to wrestle with as you read it, for sure. Um, one thing that I was not familiar with before I read this book, that I but that I thought was really interesting, and I think kind of also speaks to nuance and complication, is this Maori concept of utu, mm. which I think maybe especially for Western brains might be kind of tricky for us to wrap our heads around, but it's it's about balance, but not not necessarily vengeance. Is that a fair way of of explaining it? That's a really good way of putting it. So, at heart, it's about balance. Maori and Indigenous peoples across the world, I think, have a real understanding of the importance of balance in all kinds of ways. Not only in justice, but in eco- yeah. ecology and the environment and the sense of ecological continuity and environmental preservation was entirely a part of um, you know every step that we took upon the planet. And I think that's very common to all Indigenous people. And it's about balance between human needs and the greater need of the the world, the environment, the the land. Mm. And at heart, I think that is kind of a way to look at Utu. It's like, um, it's a way to look at at, um, social interaction in that same way as environmentalism in a way. If you've been offended, um, then there is a need for social continuity for that to be put right. In the book, I write about the, another way to look at it is it's not just in the negative. It's not just if you've been wronged. If someone comes to your house and they bring a bottle of wine, then um, you, you know a tribute has been paid to you. And then hmm. when you come to their house, you bring a bottle of wine, you, you know, and, uh, another bottle of wine that's as nice or perhaps a little bit nicer to as as a uh, as a tribute back to the person who has given you tribute in the same uh-huh. way if you've ro- if you've been wronged balance requires that that wrong needs to be righted in some kind of a way and um through the book uh what hannah finds is that the 
the um, the killer, what they are doing is is what they believe is Utu, what they believe is finding balance for something that happened to their ancestor two centuries ago. Mm-hmm. The, that motivation, I think, is so interesting in our character of the killer, who obviously we're not going to give too much away, but this is all stuff that's on the, you know, jacket copy. So we haven't broached anything too far yet. But I do wonder, I mean, this killer, as we get to know them and their motivations, a lot of what they're saying is really difficult to disagree with. Obviously, they end up taking it way too far. But I I wonder for you, writing that character, was it a difficult line to toe to create someone who was as kind of seemingly empathetic for so long? Or, or was that always something you wanted to do to create a compelling detective novel? One of the things I'm really proud about is that, that readers do become very um, moved by and responsive to what the killer is saying um because it, in many ways you know for me it was so important that this wasn't just a common garden psychopath that, that was the antagonist right right um i wanted to do something that i think was kind of like a bit scary and a bit like challenging and i had no idea if it would work or not i wanted to make the killer somebody who was saying something was saying many things that I, for one, believe in, and I think many people do can understand and, as you say, you know, relate to what the the killer is saying. At the same time as, you know, when you take a step back and realise what the killer is actually doing is completely wrong. And I think that's two things can be true at the same time. More with Michael Bennett on Better the Blood in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. As we've said, this book is very much about Maori culture and traditions. Um, There are a couple of characters in the book who speak the Maori language, and there are translations of phrases as footnotes. And I was wondering how you came to that decision to use the footnotes like that. So one of the things, you know, that, that was really important to me was, was to have, was to have a lot of our language of Toreo Māori, um, you know, the Māori language in there, because that's genuine, you know, um, the Māori language almost died, but it's, it's had a complete renaissance. My children have gone through a full immersion Māori language education. Um, right from kindergarten to primary school to That's high school, so cool. they're, they're fluent. I'm not because I wasn't of that generation. But the the right. the language is 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 reborn and growing, and and it was very important for me to reflect that in the book. But at the same time, I wanted I wanted to have that within the text and to make it also accessible for you know a reader in Chicago, for a reader in book arrest wherever they are and there was a lot of discussion with my editor because the the normal thing is to have a a glossary in the back of the book but I've always kind of Mm. not liked that very much because you've got to it interrupts your reading when you kind of have it's a lot of work 
So, so <laughs> I really fought for that, for the, having the footnotes within the text. So you mentioned that this is the first book about a Maori detective by a Maori author. I mean, in your experience since the book has come out, like, how do you think it has been received by Maori readers? I mean, it must mm. be pretty cool to see this representation out there. Yeah, the, the response has been quite amazing. Um, there's a thing in New Zealand, <laughs> which if we were on video, you'd be able to see um, a lot of Maori wear something around their neck, which is made of ponamu, which is greenstone, which is a very sacred stone that comes from a river in the South Island of New Zealand. And um, mm. it's a very special gift that you, you can't give to yourself. It's it's something that only someone else can can give to you. And that's called a taonga, which basically means a treasure of significance. And I was interviewed the other day by a Māori interviewer who, her word for the book was that it was a taonga for her and for Māori oh. readers of you know, something that actually talked wow. about things that were so important to be talked about. And um, I couldn't be more complimented and humbled. Mm, that's beautiful. So you mentioned that you are a screenwriter. You've directed a number of TV shows and movies. You've done such a broad variety of things, too. I mean, you also wrote a nonfiction true crime book. You wrote a YA graphic novel. I would love to know how your approach to this one maybe felt similar and or different from those other projects. I mean, in some ways it must have just been completely different muscles, right? It's just such a cool question. Alfred Hitchcock says this thing, which is um, when he reads a novel, he doesn't read words. He has a screen in his head that plays images. And for him, Ugh. a novel is just a series of images. And I feel the same. <laughs> so my my career before this has been a couple of decades of, of, of writing screenplays and directing. And when mm. I write a screenplay, again, it's not words on the page so much as it is crafting, you know, that's what a screenplay is. It's crafting a series of images that the readers, that the, the audience will, right. will see. So I wrote in exactly the same way that in many ways as I would write a screenplay because I wanted to have those images in the reader's head in the same way that they were, an audience literally sees images on the screen. So for me, it was a kind of, in many ways, it was a really natural uh, journey from from screenwriting to to writing prose. But in a way, it was even more satisfying because I do love the way words go together in a sentence. Um, hmm. I write relatively quickly. I mean, I try and write a chapter a day when I'm writing prose. Um, but of that day, I might spend an hour on one sentence that's the key sentence where I really want to work out where the semicolon goes or, <laughs> you know, like, um, <laughs> so th that kind of stuff is important to me. And, and the thing with, a, you know, how words fit together and the beauty of how words fit together in a sentence. And the thing with a screenplay is that, you know, a screenplay, um, while it's the, I, 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 I liken it to a dissolving suture, while it's the thing that holds everything together and is um, the alpha, beta, omega of the film, the writing disappears. Hmm. In 20 years of writing screenplays, no one in the audience has ever read one of my words. But um, when I write prose, they actually get to look at the sentences. And <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's the same, but it's different. And it's it's a really nice experience writing prose after being a screenwriter. That's really cool. I could see that it would be satisfying in a number of different ways that way. Yeah, no, Absolutely. 
So is this the beginning of a series? Do we get more, Hana? It is. I've just finished the first draft of book two. Oh my gosh. That's great. Yeah. It was difficult second album um, for a while. I bet. I bet. It, it took a lot of uh, wrestling, um, but I've ended <laughs> up being very, very, very pleased with where we've gotten to. It, it's continuation of the journey um, and um, in and it takes us to a new part of New Zealand and it takes us off on another unexpected, but I hope compelling story where she's drawn back into another mystery that only her with her very particular skills can solve. Well, Michael, it's a beautiful book. Thank you so much for writing it. And and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about it. I appreciate you very much. Thank you, Greta. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for engaging with it so deeply. That was really cool. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Michael Bennett. His book is called Better the Blood and it is out now. So get it however you want. We would love to know what you think of this book. So once you have read it, you can send us a little voice memo by recording yourself on your phone and then emailing the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back the last Tuesday of April with a discussion of the book. And again, a friendly reminder, we have our May and June book picks already as well. May, we are reading Idra Novi's Take What You Need. And then in June, we are reading Shannon Chakraborty's The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi. I'm so excited about both of these. So get them now while you're thinking about it. And then, yeah, join us for those interviews and discussions as they happen as well. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our newsletter is made by J.P. Swenson. And Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.